Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And they're walking him with the bases loaded and intentional walk to Barry Bonds. Two and two with the bases loaded and one out. Hello and welcome in everybody to episode 132 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight we are talking early second base preview. We are using NFBC ADP since December 1st and we look at the top 12 going off the board and then we give a couple names after the top 12. We're just trying to touch the surface on every position and then give a few names a little deeper. I am joined tonight by George. You can follow him on Twitter at Roto underscore Nino. A little bit different of an intro tonight. I'm trying something new, something a little more professional. What do you think, George? A little, I mean, I ruined it, but what do you think, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, I mean, it's, it's all good. I'm just glad to be here talking with you again. It's me and you again. It's always me and you, which is yep. awesome. <laughs> but it's been so sporadic. We, pro- I, I, we promised to be more... Yeah, we, we lied. Uh, we broke our promise, but we really are going to try to be more consistent. It's just been life, man. I moved uh, the holidays. You had COVID. I did, like, yeah. Knocked me out last week. I'm still a little congested, if you can't tell, but yeah, last week uh, knocked me out a bit. So yeah, I'm good, though. Doing good. That's all That's all matters, man. I'm glad you're healthy because mm-hmm. I've seen it from one extreme to the next. I've had guys at work, and I've mentioned it, uh, as bad as like getting asthma from it as and as little as no symptoms. So it's uh it's legitimately an issue, man. But of course, we're not gonna talk about that. Let's be happy. The, the hot stove is firing up. We are honestly gonna save that for another episode because we have so much to get to tonight, and we're trying to keep it short, sweet, and to the point. So before we dive into the second base preview, I have to remind everybody this is a uh rotoballer podcast. I know you write for fan tracks, but this is a rotoballer, a rotoballer <laughs> uh sponsored podcast. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com slash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends aboard. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. 
Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any new depositors through January 4th. Just head over to www.rotoballer.com box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. All right, let's dive into this early NFBC ADP. And a reminder, it is a second base preview. We are looking at December 1st till today and today is december 29th as we are recording and knowing the way i talk it'll be december 30th when we're done <laughs> but uh that's uh right there at the very top well first off before we even dive into adp I, I meant to ask in general what are your thoughts on the position of second base um are you attacking it earlier because you find it to be weaker are you kind of just letting it you know are you not really focusing on it until like the middle rounds like what is your overall thought on the position and how are you attacking it in drafts yeah, I mean, I'm not really, I don't really have a particular strategy. I mean, I, I don't mind a couple of the guys at the top. Like, I don't mind Ozzy Albies, uh, if, it, if it makes sense, uh, where I'm picking, like, you know, at the back of the second or uh, front end of the third. Other than that, I mean, there's a couple of guys I like really late, actually. So I don't really have a particular, like, strategy, really. Like, it, it, it all just kind of depends how the draft falls to me. I'm kind of the same way. I don't necessarily go after players just because of positional flexibility or eligibility, I should say. However, I look at the second base position as a whole and think it's pretty rough. And it's crazy because I kind of like a lot of these players that we're going to talk about tonight. But there's what it is, I think it lacks those elite options. Like if you look at, I think every position is drafted in the first round except for second base. Right. And I say that because the highest player with second base eligibility is DJ LeMahieu, and his ADP is at 28, uh, 28.07, so 28th overall. So that puts him back end of the second round in 15-teamers and then obviously third round in 12-teamers. So you're almost getting through two full rounds without a second baseman taken off the board, and there's no other position you can say that about. So that's what makes, you, that's what makes it very interesting in terms of the how the, how the position uh is because every other position has those elite options where I feel like second base lacks those true elite options. They have some very good guys, and like we'll talk about DJ LeMahieu right now. LeMahieu going 28th, 28th overall off the board. What, what are your thoughts on him? Are you kind of apprehensive at that price tag given the uncertainty of New York, or are you kind of assuming he's going to land there? Or like what overall? The, I mean, he does have first, second, and third base eligibility, so maybe that kind of plays into it. It definitely does, but I think a lot of his value right now is just tied to his landing spot. And right now, yeah, like, you know, uh, you did some research on it as far as his numbers, you know, in New York. So we know how much he was helped by, you know, as far as his power numbers go with uh, Yankee Stadium. So right now, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of iffy about taking LeMahieu this high right now at this point. So he's probably not going to be on too many of my teams, at least early on. I uh, want to see if he actually stays there in New York. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're getting elite average. The power, I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll see how the, the power translates or wherever he's going to end up. But there's not really too much more to say about LeMahieu. And for those who don't know the numbers you're referring to or uh, whatnot with how he's been, it's been like New York's been like the perfect part for him. And it's crazy because he's coming from cores where he played, I believe, seven years of his career. And in those seven years, his career high in home runs was 15 because his hit tool is like as elite as he, it's really damn good. So he hits to all fields. He took advantage of the gaps. He was a doubles and triples guy. It, it is what it is in that park because that park plays well to all you know types of hits. 
But New York really played well to his home to his power production because he doesn't really have any, but he's able to put the ball to opposite field and take advantage of the short porch as a right-handed hitter. And only two home runs of DJ LeMahieu's in 2020 had an exit velocity over 100 miles per hour, just to give you an idea of like the fact that he doesn't hit the ball that hard and his home runs are barely over 100 miles per hour. And since 2019, which is when he went to New York, 27 of his 36 home runs have been in New York. 16 of those 27 in, in New York were opposite field. So that gives you a, obviously a large amount of the 27 he's hit in New York have been to the short porch side. That's like, that's crazy to me. Like he, like he, he depends on that short porch so much cause he can take advantage of it. And then in 2020, a couple of red flags were just the career low uh, average launch angle, not necessarily, you know, a big launch angle guy, but the fact that it was low, the reason why that was so concerning to me is because we saw the ground ball percentage jump up to 57.1%. And with the BABIP as high as it was, He's not really known for his speed, although he's not a zero in stolen bases. The the ground ball rate going up concerns me as a whole as well. So there's just a couple little uh, red, red flags for me in 2020. And then the fact that he might not be in New York. So I'm completely off of him at his price right now. And I'm willing to miss out because if he doesn't have New York, then we know what he can be in one of the best hitters ballparks. And that was like, what, what was he, like a fringe top 100 pick when he was in Colorado? We can go ahead and move on from LeMahieu. We both feel similarly. No point in harping on it. But next up is my number one second baseman for the second year in a row. After disappointing us a little bit, and a lot of bit, I should say, in 2019, Ozzy Albies going 32nd overall. Are you an Ozzy Albies guy with me this year or no? I am. I, I actually, I'm, I'm in on Albies this year. Um, you know, he's one of these players that, you know, the draft costs actually went up despite, you know, the the actual production. You know, he was hurt for a lot of 2020 uh, with, with that risk. Uh, sorry, that risk. So he did hit six home runs, three steals, hit 271 and only 124 plate appearances. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just about to be 24. I think there's still another another level for Albies. Uh, so definitely like him a lot. I'm a big Ozzy Albies guy. And you mentioned the uh, the injury. Well, there's some good news to that. Is you know prior to the injury, or I should say prior to the IL, Albies posted just one home run with a 159, 196, 273 triple slash with a 23, 28.3% K rate. Obviously, you know I was gonna look into this guy, and his average exit velocity was just 85 miles per hour. Not a big exit velocity guy as a whole. But still keep that in mind because it shows that he was healthy. Because when he came, oh, and don't forget the WRC plus in that prior to uh, prior to the IL was t- 21. Like that's it, not 121, 21. But he returned from the IL and he returned to form, hitting 338, 372, 581 as a triple slash. Coming back from the IL, Albies posted five home runs, three stolen bases, and his average average exit velocity jumped up 2.7 miles per hour to 87.7 miles per hour. Again, he's not an average velocity guy. He's not somebody or average exit velocity guy. He's not somebody you should be banking on for that. He's not a big power guy, but that shows that he was healthy, at least in my opinion. Uh, that would suggest he was healthy to me. And then, of course, the WRC Plus was now over 100 at 152. So you mentioned his overall numbers. It's because of that strong, that strong, I guess you won't call it a second half when he returned from injury. The only concern I would have is that he bat- he batted most of that time at the bottom of the lineup again because of Danzig Swanson making that you know taking that step forward. So I think there's a chance that he hits at the bottom of the lineup, which hinders the production potential a little bit. But he's also the first one that's going to move up if there's an injury or if Swanson struggles. So I'm willing to take the sh- uh, take a chance on him, assuming even if he hits ninth. 
I'm I, we see what he could do hitting ninth. I'm I'm okay with that. But I actually like him as my number one first ba- uh, second baseman because of the all around game he offers. Yeah, exactly. He he would be my number one second baseman as well. And you mentioned how you know he did better when he came back off the injured list. Uh, he came back, played 18 games, hit 338 with five home runs and all three of his steals there. So yeah, definitely saw him come back healthy and really do well there. So yeah, he would be my first second baseman and someone that I would wouldn't mind taking there in the third round where he's going right now. Yeah, I actually prefer him. I actually would take him in the second, but don't tell anybody that because I get called crazy. But it's okay because you'll see him. I bet you he'll be. I mean, he's barely. He's a, in the in fifteen teamers. He's a fringe like late second, early third type of guy. He has a min pick of twenty three. So you take that for what it's worth. I mean, he's obviously people are seeing the value in him again. But a guy that seems to be just in the same spot every year, Whit Merrifield. He's going third overall or third overall. He's he's the third second baseman going at thirty seventh overall. He has second base and outfield eligibility. Are you in on Whit Merrifield's cost this year? Are you avoiding him? Are you okay with it? Like, where are you at with Whit Merrifield? Merrifield, I mean, he makes me a bit nervous because he had some trends going into 2020 that, you know, I mean, I mean, the strikeout rate was going up each year. And it looked like he kind of was able to, you know, fight that off a bit. But he makes me nervous. He makes me nervous because, I mean... His contact, yeah, his contact had been going down. If you look at his uh, exit velocity on line drives and fly balls, too, that has gone down every year as well. He hit nine home runs. I, I don't know. I mean, I look at that. It just kind of makes me nervous. I, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I just. It's me, a gut, just sometimes sure. it's just a gut feeling, man. Sometimes you just got to go with the gut. And if your gut says don't do it, you just don't do it. Yeah, I mean, he still makes a lot of contact. And he's going to hit a ton of line drives. So, I mean. Steamer has him projected for 283 average. I, I think that's fine. I, I'll buy that. I'm just not too sure he's going to hit 16 home runs. I mean, I know he hit nine in 265 plate appearances this last year, but I'm thinking more like 12 home runs or so. Uh, you know, maybe he does steal 20 bases, but 20, 12, 283, that's fine. It's just not what I'm targeting there, <laughs> you know, at, at his ADP. <laughs> And you mentioned the contact rates, and it was good to see him kind of correct those. That was the thing you mentioned they were declining. This year, he kind of improved them back to, what was it, 2018, I think it was, when they were better. So you saw him make the the correct the correction there. And maybe part of that was he was a little more aggressive. He had his high, he had a career-high first pitch swing rate of 27.2%. So maybe that added aggression gave him the opportunity to hit better pitches. And then you throw in the fact that Carlos Santana is being added to that lineup should add, you know, just a little more, not that he needed the lineup protection, but maybe he, maybe Carlos Santana bats second when, when, or if, um, Mondesi struggles. And that just adds more, more uh, protection for him right, right around there. Cause I feel like Mondesi is not much protection. I, I don't know. Pitchers have, uh, Mondesi is so hit or miss, man. That's a whole other discussion. We'll, we'll say that yeah. for shortstop, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Overall, I'm okay with like I've come around on him cause you mentioned though, yeah, uh, you know, his walk rate went down, but is that because he was a little more aggressive? We saw the strikeouts kind of, I think they improved a little bit, but yeah, it was weird because he had like a career or not a career best, but uh, a, he had a barrel rate of 5.1%, which was the best since 2017, but like the hard hit rate didn't improve. The average exit velocity didn't improve. So he's making better quality of contact, but it, maybe it's breaking even because the other stuff isn't really following suit. I don't, it's a weird, it's a, it feels like a weird little profile going on there, but I like him because you know you're getting the steals. The sprint speed still seems in place with the last few years. So you know he's aging. The sprint speed has that the sprint speed hasn't aged with him. 
He's he's on a team that's surprisingly decent. That division is not great outside the White Sox. I, I'm I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in on Merrifield. I'm talking myself into it. And I've never been a Merrifield guy, so the year I'm in on him is the year I'm going to get burned. <laughs> that's how I look at it. Yeah, for, for me, uh, I, I just don't think I'm going to pay that price this year. And our, that's fine. I mean, that's our first one we did disagree on, and I'm okay with that because if we agree on everything, this isn't going to be fun. And I'm wondering, yeah. <laughs> I'm truly curious about your thoughts on this guy. Number four on this list per ADP is Kevin Biggio, second, third, and outfield eligible. So you'll be hearing a lot of this name, and that might be a big reason why he is his ADP is so high because multi-positional eligible players tend to get pushed up, especially in these formats. However, at 58th overall. Kevin Biggio just feels a bit rich for my liking. Where are you at with Kevin Biggio? Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, he did. He hit 250 last year, and that was an improvement. Cut down the strikeouts a, a bit. But, I mean, yeah, it just seemed... I just don't know if I want to take that batting average, you know, at that pick, pick 56. Um, yeah, you know he's not going to hit for a good average, but he will be an accumulator, he he did have 265 plate appearances, which was just two plate appearances behind the MLB leader last year. So you know he's going to be an accumulator. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that he has big-time power potential or anything like that, but he's going to play enough and, and hit enough to maybe get those 20 home runs. And uh, you you actually pointed out earlier today about his uh, success rate on the Bates Pass, right? Like 20 and 0? Uh, 20 for 20 since he's been in the major leagues. Yeah, he's, he's blew been my mind. That was such a weird house. little fun stat. I was like, ooh, this is fun. Tweeted it out, of course, because I was like, why not? Yeah, no, that was, was, a, fun that was a good one. Just a fun for sure. People focus so much, and I've been guilty of it. People focus so much on sprint speed. When first off, 90 foot sprint, like the 90 foot speed, wherever that is, that's actually a better metric. But then overall, success rate is a big deal. Like, if you go look at Juan Soto, Soto is slow in terms of, like, sprint speed. If you go look at sprint speed, it's, like, 33rd percentile. No one would ever look at that and think, you know what, he steals bases. But he is efficient. So that's how you know it's a skill, not, you know, so there's always more to it than speed. And although that's a very common, like, knowledge thing, a lot of people forget that. I'm guilty of it myself. So I, I rein it back in now. And when I look at someone for speed... I look at how successful they are on the base pass. And I noticed Brandon Lau is a guy we're going to get to very shortly, actually. He's another one who's actually relatively efficient on the base pass over the last couple of years. So it makes me more believe, like, even when you, like, say someone, say he's projected for 8 to 10, you feel more comfortable taking that projection because, you know, given the opportunity, he like he's likely to get there because I see him taking 10 attempts in a year. He'll get eight of those probably. You know what I mean? That's how I look at guys with good efficiency. So that's yeah. just my, that's my little tangent about efficiency. But, yeah, man, Kevin Biggio, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if you had any more to add before I go into my little spiel. No, no, I, I just don't know how much bat, batting average upside there is for, for Biggio considering, I mean, he does pull the ball a lot. And despite his overall contact rate going up, he did drop two percentage points in zone contact. So it was a lot of uh, contact outside the zone. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm just not sure that there's much batting average upside. And if you're going to get 20 homers and 12 to 15 steals and a 250 average, I just, I, I think there's more down the line that you can get uh, at a much cheaper cost. And that's kind of where I'm at with him because I understand the allure because he's probably 20 to 25 home runs, 15 to 20-ish to stolen bases if everything goes right because his OBP is fantastic. 
I mean, at every stop since 2017, minors and majors included, he's always had a 13.3% or greater walk rate. So he will get on base. So the attempts will come. But will they need to come because that lineup is getting better? Will they just make him maybe not – will they not allow him to run as much so that way he doesn't run into outs? I mean, the thing is he doesn't run into outs. So he's already, he's already, he's already selective. I'm just wondering if that comes into play with a better team, you know, a team that's growing and getting better. Do they want to risk him on the base pass as much? I'm just, that's strictly guessing. But beyond that, his batting average was 250 this year. So people are like, Oh, what's wrong with that? His XBA was 215. And before I say that, like as a blanket statement, because some people just look at that and say, Oh, that's the argument. No, the problem is, is his profile suggests that he's not going to be a high batting average guy. He's very pull heavy. He's pulled the ball 47.2% or greater each of the last two years. The difference between last year and this year was the amount of ground balls. His ground ball rate spiked to, where is it? I got to find it, to 39.5% in 2020. This is up from 25.8% the year before. So if you're pulling that much and you're pulling to the ground that much, you're not going to do much in terms of batting average. So the fact that he was able to even produce 250 is surprising to me all things considered. And that's again, but now going back to the power, you mentioned he's not really, he isn't really profiled to be much of a power hitter. Well, I think that's where he gets his power. He pulls the ball and tries to get the ball in the air to create the power, plus a good home ballpark in Rogers stadium. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I see the power coming from. But unfortunately that's where I see the struggles in batting average coming from as well. He would be somebody I feel like would, uh, if he was obviously the, this approach reminds me a lot of Voight before Voight got more aggressive. The bit, you know, the pulling the ball, the high walk rates. He's another guy that would probably benefit from being a little more aggressive. That's yeah, all. yeah. Per, I mean, it would be interesting to see the results of a of a change approach for sure. But the next guy on this list, I mentioned it, Brandon Lau. He's going 70th overall. He's the sixth second baseman off the board. Is there anything about Brandon Lau you would like to tell everybody? <laughs> I think you might be skipping somebody. Did I? Oh, because yeah, you know why? I don't want to mention them. <laughs> okay, Kissing fine. You're here. right. I, I, I skipped four. I skipped five. It was on accident, but it's honestly the perfect person to skip for me. Because obviously I am the Keston Hira, not hater as much as I am just anti-Keston Hira for 2021 specifically. I want to make that very clear. I am not against him long term. I am against him in 2021 until I see some adjustments. I'll talk about why. But Kisten Hira is the number five second baseman going off the board at 65th pick overall. What are your thoughts on Kisten Hira before I rip him apart? Well, okay. I mean, he, and he absolutely deserves it after. <laughs> he absolutely deserves it after the 2020 he put up. But, like, I would rather take a shot on Kisten Hira than Kevin Biggio, like, in this range. Like, I just think the upside is still tremendous. I mean, he still hit 13 home runs with three steals. I mean, yeah. He still had a 14% barrel rate. I mean, he still hits the ball very hard. For me, I, I'd i rather take a chance on, on the bounce back. And if you're going to get a 250 average, 240, 250 from Kevin Biggio anyways, like, why not just take that chance on, on here at bouncing back? I, I think he could do better than that 273 BABIP. I think that can come up a little bit. Obviously, the biggest thing is going to be his contact rate, uh, <laughs> especially in the zone. I mean, if he could start making a little more contact... That'll definitely go a long way. I think he can definitely improve on that 34% strikeout rate. But for me, yeah, I mean, in this range, I'd rather take a shot on Keston Hira, who can give you 30 home runs and, you know, a dozen steals anyways. And if I'm not expecting a good batting average from Biggio, you know, then 
yeah, I'll just take a shot on Keston here. Remember the whole efficiency thing on the base paths? He's a guy who's been, I think, only over 60% once in his career, and that was 2019. Just to, like inter- and that includes the that, that includes the minors. Like he's never been a very efficient base runner, right. so that does that does concern me when it comes to heroes uh, stolen bases. But this is a team that might need to produce runs, and I say might because normally I would say, oh, for sure the Brewers are going to need to produce runs to win. Look at that division. The Pirates are trash. The Cubs are selling everybody. The Cardinals haven't yep. made any moves, and I'm missing out. I mean, the Reds have sold off players, and the, well, there's another team I'm missing. Who's the last team I'm missing in the Central? It doesn't matter. Like the yeah. the central is just really bad right now. Right. Yeah. I mean the pirates. I mean they're about to most likely trade Joe Musgrove, and the Reds are talking about trading Sonny Gray. Trevor Bauer's probably not going to be back there. I mean they've already the, traded. They already sold off uh, Rysel Iglesias. Like <laughs> there's a whole bunch yeah. of that man. Like I don't start- know who's left in Chicago. I have no idea who's still left there. And then outside of Jack Flaherty, I mean, what do you really have there in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean that any one of those teams could take that division and the first yeah, one I mean, willing to spend a little bit of money will take it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Brewers they'll be an interesting bounce back team. I know I'm gonna I know we're upsetting somebody because we're we're both like we're missing a team. I'm looking it up right now. Why like this is what happens when you don't play in the division I cover I talk about a lot. But I have at the finger rights I, we're missing no, we talked about everybody. Why do I feel like we're missing somebody? <laughs> the Cardinals, the Cubs. Oh, yeah, we t- I think the Reds. I think I forgot. I think I forgot. I mentioned the uh, the Cubs. Okay, so, yeah. so they're yelling at me now because I'm an idiot. All right, we can move on. But we're not moving on from Keston Hero. The reason why I am out on Keston Hero for 2020 because you mentioned a dozen steals. You mentioned 30 home runs. You did. You failed to mention his bad batting average. Really, you kind of hinted at why he's having struggling. But the fact that his outcome could be 230, 240. You just gave me Rugnet Odor in like the fourth round or fifth round. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the problem. Like the floor is there now. Don't, I'm not saying he's Rugnado Door. I don't need people killing me on Twitter about that. I'm saying that is legitimately the floor, though, because that's what he showed us this year. Like the floor can be that, which is not bad if you're getting him at pick 100. You know, you, you can deal with the batting average. But you may, like, I, I just think Keston Harris figured out in 2020. He had the second worst swinging strike rate among, okay, this is among qualified hitters. The second worst swinging strike rate, the worst contact rate. Saw less fastballs and more breaking balls and off-speed pitches this year. I think pit- overall pitchers adapted is what I'm getting at. He overperformed across the board on fastballs, breaking balls, and off-speed pitches in 2019. And this year, he just wasn't so lucky. And then if you start looking at like some of his struggles in the zone, it was always up. Up in, up mid, and up away. If you look at his batting average and expect the batting average up, up, up and in, up middle, and up away, sub 200 across the board, batting average and XBA. His WOBA and XWOBA, Sub 200 up and up mid and up and in, but up and away was a little better. He hit 323, but his ex Wobo, or sorry, his Wobo was 323, but his ex Wobo was 230. So I'm going a little deeper here just to make a point that he struggles with pitches up in the zone in a big way. His whiff rates 61% up and in, 53% up middle, and 65% up and away. So, the, and people were like, well, what about 2019? When you look, they were not this bad, obviously. But the problem is, is or what people maybe didn't notice, is that there were red flags that this was a potential outcome because of like they were they were still noticeably dip, like uh, worse than the rest of the zone in the same very stats. So I think pitchers again adjusted, and he had struggle. He struggled with pitch identification. He's a young guy. He's going to struggle. That's why I think he's just going to struggle one more year or maybe a half a year. But can you really take on a half a year of struggles from a guy you're picking in the top sixty five? 
I cannot justify it. So that's why Kisney here, I'm strictly out on for 2021 unless he drops a little more in drafts. That's it. Yeah. That's my soapbox. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm I'm actually kind of with you. I mean, as I know for me, like I still think there's tremendous upside there, but uh, I agree there's upside. It's just a matter yeah. of it's, it's it feels risky compared to what's going around him. Plus a guy, there's still a guy going after him that again, I'll we'll get to short so soon because there's a guy here I'd rather have over all these names. And I'm gonna he's a, he's a my guy this year, but I'll get to him shortly. Brandon Lau, let's try this again. The number six second baseman <laughs> off the board, second base and outfield eligible. Brandon Lau going 70th overall in early drafts. Are you a Brandon Lau guy this year, or is the price a little much for you? Where are you at? No, I, I like Brandon Lau. I, I definitely like Brandon Lau. It looks like he was pretty much just picked up where he left off in 2019. As far as that pace goes, he hit 14 home runs, three steals, uh, hit 269. He just kind of did it in a different way. You saw the uh, strikeout rate. Uh, fall you know from 34.6 percent to 25.9 percent it it looks like he really just became more selective as far as pitches outside the zone he really dropped his chase rate uh, from 34.1 percent to 26.8 percent so I mean that definitely helped now as far as like the zone contact and everything else just kind of stayed the same uh, 76.6 percent uh, in 2019 zone contact was 76.8 percent so he's still going to be someone who is prone to you know streakiness so he kind of showed it this year with the 313 uh, average in the first half and 223 in the second half but i mean there's definitely a lot to like you know 17% barrel rate that's just yeah that's that's fantastic uh you know improved on the 14% barrel rate he did in 2019 so yeah i, I think there's a lot to like with Brandon Lau the only thing is he is going to be susceptible to those streaks and if he gets cold for a week you know the rays going to sit him for a game or two you and start all you know start that so that's that's the only question there and that's where i was doing my write-up on him today and that's where the apprehension kicked in i was like oh i love brandon lau i was big on him last year but <laughs> it's the rays however they are trading so much they're trading so many pieces away that maybe they can't sit him i don't know but you mentioned the streakiness i'm glad you did because i thought I'm like, all right cool let me look you know he's still a league average player in the second half it's funny that there were second halves and first halves this year, but he was still, you know, our WRC plus of 104. The strikeout rate is concerning. It spiked from 22.1% in the first half to 29.7%. So there, there is some concern there. But what I was most encouraged about was the overall growth in lefties we saw this year. 20, in 2019 versus 2020, they had, you know, he had a similar um, amount of plate appearances and such. He had 40, uh, 68 plate appearances in 2019 versus 66. Three home runs versus six home runs. Hit 242 in 2019, 300 this year. OPS of 674 in 2019, but 1.137. So it's a big OPS this year versus lefties. Woba, the WRC Plus, et cetera, et cetera. The most, the most, actually, what I'm most impressed with isn't the big numbers because he could have got hot. What I find to be the biggest growth, or at least what appears to be the biggest growth in the profile against lefties, was the tremendous, tremendous change in strikeout rate and walk rate against left-handed pitchers. Brandon Lau dropped his K rate versus left-handed pitchers in 2019 from 52.9%. Yes, that is 52.9 wow. <laughs> to 23.3%. He essentially cut it in half while tripling his walk rate, 2.9% against lefties for against 10% this year against lefties. So, and these are both small samples. So what I'm getting at is he obviously made an adjustment and he adapted and there are no real strong lefties in that division. Like if you think about it, who do they really have? Erod, 
which we have to assume he's healthy. Chris Sale, who's going to be coming off TJ. Um, John Means comes to mind. And I'm sure there's others I'm missing, but those are the ones that instantly come to mind. I mean, that's pretty much it. So the lefties in that division won't be that tough, but I'm not saying he's going to be as good as he was. I'm not saying he's as bad as he was. I think there's a happy middle there, but my point is, is that happy middle is still really solid and makes him a guy who could play every day for the Rays. But like you mentioned, it's the Rays. He struggles. They'll find a way to put somebody in for a week and, and, or a month or who knows. So that is that concern is always going to be there. But the, gro- the growth against left-handed pitching really made me a believer in Brandon Lau sustaining everyday playing time as much as one can for the Rays. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he did definitely made some good strides. And, yeah, despite those struggles in the second half, the walk rate still remains steady. So definitely like to see that. And now my favorite guy, the guy I'll have on every team if this price remains the same. And I just, I, I guess I'm going to go down with the ship. It's Cattell Marte. And I realized it's a pretty split, like, crowd on him, man. Uh, he's going 81st overall, the seventh, second baseman off the board. I'm going to steal the show on this one. I'm going to talk about him first. Take it. <laughs> and it's because I just don't, don't think we saw, obviously, I think... I'm not really making a strong case coming in so weak. I just think that last year was an injury plague season. I, I don't think he had a chance to get right. And where I'm at with that is I got to find the stat. Of course, I have to find it. I don't know where I put it. I had it written down and I lost it. But there is a uh, basically the pre and post IL numbers. Now, don't get me wrong. The IL numbers for him were very, very, very small sample, the post IL numbers. But long story short, because apparently I can't seem to find my own my own notes he came back and was able to post a better exit velocity on average haha <laughs> i found him he then ended on the il and prior to the il he had an, he had an exit velocity sitting at 88.6 miles per hour but upon returning from the il that ever the exit velocity was at 94.6 miles per hour again that goes back to albies how i mentioned that and they had similar injuries i know they both dealt with wrist issues and all that and i think he came back and although he didn't have a chance to really put it together we saw him just healthier period and the, i think the exit velocities show that because you're putting a harder you know you're putting better and harder swings on the ball and we can't forget that he had a max exit velocity of 115.8 miles per hour this suggests that the power would have came back i think around and it would have came back around in due time that season but we've also been we've also been shown through research that max exit velocity is a good indication of power potential so although I don't think he's the 32 home run guy we saw in 2019 with the juice ball, I think 25 to 28-ish is very fair. And then you're going to give me a guy who's pretty much always good for 8 to 10 stolen bases, definitely a 270-plus hitter. And I'm saying 270-plus because he's actually closer probably to 280 these days. Most people pencil him in for 280-plus. And you're getting that guy who gives you five-category production. Yes, he's not in the best of lineups, but there's a chance he gets traded, to be honest, and that would be good for him. But – Overall, I still think he's solid. Maybe not the 200-plus runs in RBI guy. Maybe closer to 180. So that's why he drops a little bit. But regardless, even dropping a little bit, he gives you such a high floor everywhere. I'm willing to take a little bit of, of a hit in the runs in RBI department to get my you know my handful of stolen bases, my home runs, my batting average. And he's probably going to be able to play in the outfield a little bit, so he might gain a positional eligibility. But regardless, I think there's a high floor there is what I'm getting at with the potential for him to be close to what he was in 2019. And a lot of people are just writing off 2019 as being the outlier when there were some indications that suggested that he might've returned to form had he had a full season to do so. 
So I started off slow and sloppy, but I ended kind of strong on this one, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I definitely love him at this price. Uh, yeah, that's that's 85. Um, I love that price. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm buying him as a bounce back next year. I think everything you mentioned from the exit velocities to, I mean, he had a 93% zone contact rate. I mean, that is elite. So um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm in on Cattell. You know, I was the Cattell Marte guy going into 2020, um, kind of let us down, but no, I'm I'm back in for sure. I'm glad we don't have to argue about him because I mean, although if we want to make a bet this year, I I would like to make one surrounding Cattell Marte. I would like to take that Cattell Marte uh, parte to the betting board. Maybe I can get Zach to take me up on one. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, st- I actually still owe him an Alonzo jersey. Don't tell him. Maybe he'll forget. Um, <laughs> next guy on this list, speaking of Zach, this is a Met. Going as the eighth second baseman off the board, second base, third base, and outfield eligible, 94th overall. Tied, actually, right, right at 94th overall. Technically, 94.26 is Jeff McNeil. I don't know what to think of McNeil. Is he just kind of like a solid roster stabilizer type? That's kind of how I view him. Some people think there's a higher ceiling there. I'm not quite there with him. What are your thoughts on Jeff McNeil? Yeah, I'm not quite there either. It's, I mean, he did hit 300 again. He hit 311, <laughs> and it's funny that all, like four, all four of his home runs came like on consecutive days. Like he just went on a binge, four straight days with home runs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure. He he only attempted two steals, got caught both times. So, and and now he's five for eight, five for eight uh, in the last two seasons on the Bates pass. So. Yeah, I mean, talk about efficiency there. I, you know, not too sure how much he's going to run. You know, you're going to get a good average, but there's questions as far as like where's he going to hit in the lineup. Uh, yeah, I, I think at at this point you're going to get a good average, and you're hoping for maybe 15 to 20 homers, and then yeah, I think a lot depends also where he hits in the lineup. But he's just kind of yeah, I don't know. He's just kind of boring. I, right? I call yeah, I call him a roster stabilizer, and I think that does matter. Do they get Springer? Because if they get Springer, Springer, there's no way McNeil was jumping up and down the batting the batting order last year, and I think right. that's because you know Nemo wouldn't start, uh, wouldn't lead off every day. McNeil would get a shot, then he would drop down. But he did finish strong. I mean, if you look at his first, again first half, second half, however you want to call it, McNeil definitely finished strong. I believe he had. To, I think he came back from injury, right? He was dealing with um, no, I don't think he was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it wasn't injury. It was, I thought he, I thought he dealt with an injury. I'm obviously mistaken. Uh, but he came back. He had four home runs down the stretch and hit 336 again. First half or second half. So take it for what it's worth. He did post those numbers in the second half, showing a little bit of power potential. Hasn't really stolen bases like we had hoped. So that's why I call him a roster stabilizer. I think he's solid and safe. Just not not flashy, but you don't need flashy to win. Flashy doesn't win you your leagues all the time. So if you build, maybe maybe you want to take a Kevin Biggio early, or you want to take the shot on the upside with Kesson Hero. Taking Jeff McNeil makes perfect sense to pair with him because now you're getting that level of safety that you don't that you're not getting with those other guys. So he has his place, he has his uses, and I'm not anti McNeil. He's just he's not somebody I'm actively going out of my way to target though. I think that's kind yeah. of what we're both on. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It does help that he's has that second, third, and outfield eligibility. Yes, yeah, he's not someone that I'm particularly targeting. Expecting huge things out of. I get it. Speaking of not expecting huge things out of this guy, I was big on him last year. 
But I come to realize that the skill set, in my opinion, is very easy to find. But this is the the number nine second baseman off the board. I'm guessing it's largely due to his multi-positional eligibility as well, with having first, second, and third base eligibility going 94.89 overall on average is Max Muncie. I'm wondering if people are drafting him more so as first base, but that's TBD. I would like to talk to all people about that. But regardless, Max Muncie. Is he is he just what he is at this point? Two thirty to two forty ish, thirty plus home runs, and obviously a lot of RBIs hitting in that lineup. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? Um, you, the thing that stands out. I mean, nothing really changed with his profile. So the thing that stands out is that two hundred three BABIP. Um, you know, caught, bringing down that that average. So I think uh, if that BABIP stabilizes, he's back up to you know the two forty two fifty uh, hitter that he was, and yeah, you know, thirty home runs and a ton of RBI in that lineup. So yeah, I I mean, like you said, a profile that can be found uh, if you're just looking for power is nice that he does have that multi-positional eligibility, but yeah, I I think someone who's uh, looks like a bounce back candidate is just depends on, you know, what you need for your roster at this point. That's kind of where I'm at. And I believe like, yeah, he terribly underperformed and then his XBA was higher than his like BA as expected. And again, it was a lot of, it was just bad, bad, but look, you already mentioned it. So I'm not going to harp on it too much. Just a guy that meh, like, you know, like why not just take Mike Moustakis going a few picks later is kind of what I'm getting. He's like, I know I hate the name drop because he's, he's the 12th second baseman off the board, but spoiler alert, same player. I think the big difference here is he only has two positions versus three. For Max Muncy, so maybe that's what's carrying it a little bit. But I think they're pretty much the same player. One has better RBI yeah. opportunities, maybe. That's about it. Right. <laughs> and that's debatable because the Reds still aren't that bad, even though they've unless they start cutting more pieces off that uh, roster. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Dylan Moore is the number ten second baseman off the board at 105.93. Second and outfit, uh, second base and outfield eligible. Dylan Moore. I don't know what to make of him. I keep going up and down in my mind. Yeah, you know, the more I look at, at Dylan Moore, the more I actually like him. Uh, kind of where I, I've gone, to be completely honest. Yeah, when you, you if you just take a quick look like at the surface numbers here, you, you see that 255 average, you see a 27% strikeout rate, and you think maybe it was just kind of a hot streak. I'm not too sure if you want to buy that, but... No, the the deeper I dig in, the the more I find that that I like. I mean, his he actually really improved uh, that plate discipline. That he has a strong twenty seven percent chase rate, and then his zone contact rate eighty two point nine percent, and then the swinging strike rate uh, rate of ten point seven percent. That doesn't really tell me. Uh, that doesn't really look like a twenty seven strike percent strikeout rate kind of guy. I, I think that there's room there for that those strikeouts to come down. Uh, and then with the 71st percentile uh, sprint speed, yeah, I, I think he can improve actually on that 255 batting average. Um, and, and then I, I think the power looks pretty legit too. He had a 95 mile per hour exit velocity on line drives and fly balls. Uh, I, I think, yeah, definitely quite a bit to like here with Dylan Moore. Um, the it's more I look crazy. at it, it's just crazy to me that uh, it's just hard to buy into somebody who's breaking out so late. And it's hard to bank on someone's minor league track record. But when you look at his minor league track record, the strikeouts were never there. So why did he struggle so much at the major league level? I don't understand that. He was, what, one time, we're talking 2015 in low A, was the only time in the minor leagues where he struck out over 20% of the time. 
since then it was 18.6, 15, 14.6, 19.9. That's actually as close as it got in 2017. So why is he suddenly struggling with major league pitching so tremendously? Although we did see him improve from 2019 to 2020. I started like the more I looked into him, the more I started buying into him as well, because it just doesn't make sense with his profile. Why he has like the bad, like why the Babbitt was lower than, like I think the Babbitt was lower than it should have been as well. Only 314 and 290 makes no sense over the last two years. I don't see that in his profile. I don't get it. I don't know. What, I feel like we have to be missing something. We really do. Yeah, have to no. be something. I don't know what I'm missing. A good, a good plate discipline, solid contact skills. Not like, Oh my God, but, I mean, they are technically a little below average, like just below average. So, like, I shouldn't have said solid. They're okay, but like good, like I said, good, obviously good O swing, good swing strike rate. So, he obviously doesn't just swing and miss and he doesn't chase a lot. I don't know. I don't, he, yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm looking because it's like considering he, he's patient and still putting up, you know, pretty, you know, average contact rates, I guess maybe he's a little too patient. Maybe he'd be a, another guy that's better off being a little more aggressive. Maybe that'll help him make more contact because then he's not falling behind in, this, in the count and stuff as much. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. No idea. He's, right. can, he's a really tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can, can he be like a, a Kevin Biggio, but, you know, a Kevin Biggio that hits the ball a hell of a lot harder, you know, like 13.8% <laughs> barrel rate, 44.7% hard to hit rate. Yeah. I mean, the, the more I look at this, the more I like Dylan more now. Uh, it did come out recently that he was going to, you know, enter spring training in a positional battle for second uh, base with Shed Long. So we'll see how that shakes out. I think regardless, uh, they're going to have to find a way to keep Dylan Moore's bat in the lineup. And I think he's someone who's, you know, could pick up you know, multi-positional eligibility in a lot of places next year. So he played 13 games in uh, uh, 26 games in the outfield, 10 at second base, uh, three at first base, three at shortstop, two at third base. So, I mean, He's someone who could pick up eligibility everywhere next year, depending on how they end up using him. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's definitely the more I more I look at Dylan Moore, the more I'm, I'm OK with his price here and I'm OK taking a chance. Yeah, and I see some of the issues. Uh, he did have a, a little above average whiff rate too. Dylan Moore did 27.2 percent last year. League average was 24.5, I believe, from what I'm looking at. And then he was less aggressive, too. He was more aggressive in 2019 at 27.3% first pitch swing straight, uh, swing, swing rate. And then last year he, he laid off the first pitch a little more. So maybe that actually helped him in his batting average. I don't know. I'm just, again, trying to make, just trying to get a better idea. It's, it's so hard because it was such a limited sample for him. Cause even it was, even over 60 games for him, it was like what 38 or something because of injuries. He never, he didn't even get a full short season in. So right, now yeah. do, do we have to worry about injuries at all? Like that's another thing. Oh, 38 games. Is that like another thing with Delmore? Do we have to worry about injuries? They felt kind of fluky. I think one was when he got hit in the head or something. So I don't know. I'm starting to buy in a little more. Like I've been fading him, but I've been, I'm starting to buy in a little more given the skill set and potential. But it's just so hard because then you have guys like Jose Altuve going right after him. 110 overall, the 11th second baseman off the board. I Do you take a proven commodity who seems to be struggling or do you go ahead and take the guy who had a really good 38 game sample? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you take that upside? Um, yeah. And honestly, I think this is probably going to be where at this point and moving forward is probably where I'm going to be getting my second baseman in a lot of drafts because I, I mean, I'm actually okay taking uh, Altuve uh, here. I know he's the 11th second baseman off the board now, but I don't, I don't know if you had anything else to add on Dylan Moore, but 
and we can just go ahead and move on. Yeah, to I, I transitioned. Days. I transitioned seamlessly, and now it's not so seamless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I'm ready to talk about Jose Altuve. So, yeah, I mean, he hit 219, five home runs, two stolen bases, but we saw him really turning on in the postseason uh, with five home runs, 375, and 60 postseason plate appearances. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he still has a very strong zone contact rate at 89.3%. Uh, you look at that 250 BABIP, and I mean, you can just expect if the season were to, and we did see it actually, you know, into the postseason, we saw him really turn it on. So you could expect that BABIP to come up. I'm actually okay taking Jose Altuve here. Um, I, I think he could actually turn out to be a to be a value. He's only, it's like him and Chris Bryant are in this weird like gray area of do you believe in them being who they've shown them to be? Do you think they're kind of on the back on on the down like down turn I, I don't know and i'm kind of torn and then uh, altuve is a guy that you know people are like oh well he might still have stolen bases and um, i go back to efficiency he had two stolen bases but three caught stealing so he was two for five last year 2019 he was six for 11 oh, sorry i can't do math <laughs> no i can't do math it was six for 11 yes okay he was six for 11 last year it's like so you see my point it's like he's gotten worse and worse the last two years so maybe he's not going to steal as much and take away those stolen bases, how much, how valuable is his skill set really? I mean, I know he becomes more like a Marte, which is fine, I guess. So it's like, if I like Marte, why wouldn't I like Altuve, right? I just, maybe I trust the Marte. I think the stolen bases make the difference, make up the difference. But if I've missed out on Marte, I, I could see myself falling into a bunch of Altuve just on the up, just on the chance of, you don't just, I mean, I know the cheating was a thing. And I, I just think he was, I just think that hit, you don't hit that well. Even without cheating, even with cheating, I don't think he would have hit as well as he did because you started to hit the ball. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm a sucker to believe that he's as good as he is or was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know with him. Yeah. He's, another, he's another one. Another kind of anomaly. Short short sample had two extremes. You got to think there's something in the middle, right, for him. And I've also heard things about him being kind of like a guy who is kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve, kind of lets the stuff like the outside chatter affect him. We, we saw how he was in the field. He's never been that bad of a defender and he couldn't get, I feel like every time we looked, there was an error in the field and issues, you know, and they're like, you know, you got to think the fans didn't get their chance to do the whole boo the Astros out of the building thing this year. So I think they're just going to carry that into 2021 and how much of that stuff will affect him. If he's one of those guys that lets it, lets the outside noise affect him. So it's like there's a mental aspect of the game that you can't measure in the numbers that there's been a lot of people reporting that could be part of the issue. And by a lot, I mean like a couple people I've heard mention it, including, I believe, a broadcaster, though. So it is something to keep in mind, something worth following and, and uh, just no, knowing. And the last yeah. guy, we, we kind of mentioned it. I don't know if you have anything to add out to it, but if you don't, it's going to be Mike Moustakas we're talking about next. First base, second base eligible, going about 125 overall. That's usually about where he goes every year feels like between 120 and 140. Yeah. Uh, Mike Moustakis, what's there to say about him? I think he had a little bit of off a year, but he would have been his normal self had we had the chance to see it. Yeah, I don't know. It's another one of those, like, you know, I can get this everywhere kind of guy. <laughs> we talked about saying, with Max Muncy. If you, I mean, if, as as if, you missed, if you missed out on maybe some power early, this is a fallback option, and having the dual position eligibility kind of makes sense. I'm good with the price. Like I know it's just second base we're talking about today. The price is I'm good with the price is what I'm saying, though, and he's just kind of a – he is what he is type of guy for me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Mustakas, a, a lot like Whit Merrifield, 
was going into 2020 with you know some concerning trends as far as like his contact rate and strikeout rates go his strikeout rate uh last year 22.1 percent was a, a career high and a continued trend over the last few seasons now so uh i am a bit concerned about that average just completely falling off for mustakas the the power obviously is still there eight home runs and 163 plate, plate appearances but i think for me this is this is just a little bit too um this is still just a little bit too rich for me to take mustakas just yeah, I'm. I'm just afraid about the that uh, batting average just kind of falling off fall here. Off. Yeah. Well, that's gonna that's gonna be the top twelve, and we actually picked up a new sponsor, and I am really happy to take this one on. I thought I found this very interesting. It is a CBD company. Yes, CBD. I, I don't know. I love it. So my wife actually takes it. So let's let's get to it and let's talk about um, what the sponsor is. It is Fifth Element. Fifth Element is ultra-high MG CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specifically designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Let's be honest, guys. We are getting into the new year. New year equals new us equals new gym memberships. And I don't know about you. I actually started mine a little early this year. I've been working out, and I am as sore as I can remember because I'm way too out of shape. This might just help. And... If it, I'm pretty sure it's going to help all of us. So it's fifth element, AKA five E it's a full spectrum, high milligram hemp to help you whenever and wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work, get yours today and feel better tomorrow by visiting five E hemp.com. That's the number five the letter E hemp.com. And if you use the code bases loaded, all one word that's bases loaded, you get 50% off. Yes, they are literally giving you half off for using Bases Loaded. So you go to 5ehemp.com and use the Bases Loaded promo code today. You get 50% off your order, and hopefully it works. Let us know. Um, I'm going to be getting some here to try out myself. I will be honest about it, and I'm sure it's going to be great. So with that said, let's get into our final segment of the night where we talk about a couple names after these top 12 that we really are into. Uh, I'll let you go first, man. We don't know each other's names. So, George, what do you or who are you looking at first outside these top 12? Sure. So my first guy is going just outside the top 12, I think right around 136 ADPs, Tommy Edmond. Uh, I mean, his profile doesn't look all that much different than, you know, 2019 when he put up 11 home runs, 15 steals and a 304 batting average. He did hit 250 with five home runs and two steals last year. But uh, yeah, I think going into next year, he's someone who, for me, I'm I'm looking at as a maybe 270 to 280 kind of hitter who can go 15-15, and I, I think um, there's a lot to like there. He's got multi-positional eligibility. He's eligible at third, short, um, outfield, and second base. So yeah, the, Tommy Edmund, for me, is still, still a target. I, I, I think um, good fallback option there at second base 90.2% zone contact rate I, I think there's just yeah I think there's a lot to like here I think he's definitely better than a 250 hitter I think it's not fair with the Cardinals they had to play all those double headers and such yeah and I think that kind of took effect and his XBA although wasn't great it was 265 was still 15 points higher than his batting average so you know there's some regression like you mentioned positive regression happening there and his K rate was slightly above league, as slightly better than league average at twenty one point one percent, and that's like that's really good. And I think again that was with him struggling with these double headers, and he's only struck out in one previous stop in his career. 
above above that like a, at that mark or, or higher if i remember correctly I'm trying to remember like a lot of this stuff's off the top of my head actually i just looked yeah, up, yeah. i just looked at the song go the only concern i have but again how much of this was him just being fatigued he stole 24 of 25 bags in 2019 overall last year he, he stole only two out of uh, out of six so you gotta keep that in mind again goes back back to the efficiency i think he's more like the 2019 version but that's tbd as of now TBD, CBD, see what I did there? Uh, as of now, I'm a company man, I guess. Um, with that said, though, I, I'm not against it. And the positional flexibility makes a huge difference for him. And now we have, you know, uncertainties of like, the Jake Cronenworths because he would have been an obvious guy for me. But like, with San Diego kind of a mess right now, like in a good way for them because they got Kim. And now that kind of muffles up the infield a little bit. Does Cronenworth move to the outfield? Myers move out. Does Cronenworth kind of, I think I personally think Cronenworth moves into a super utility role, plays like three to four games a week, barring injury for another player. That's where I'm at with Cronenworth. Do you think Myers or Cronenworth gets the cut there or gets the playing time hit there? Oh man, I I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's what spring training lineup takeaways will be for. That's a cheap plug for my own work. I'm going to be focusing on again this year. I love those lineup stuff, man. I think you get a lot of information that you don't realize you get. Anyway, yeah. my first guy, I told you I'm going to plug my own stuff because I'm a company man. My first guy is Nick Solak. I just, I know there's been talks of him coming in with, I guess he, it's his job to lose at second base. But I think even if he wasn't performing well at second, there's no way you keep this guy out of your lineup. He just seems like a, such a solid hitter. He put up 268, 326, 344 last year. Not the f- most fantastic numbers in terms of slugging. But we've seen him be a double-digit home run and stolen base guy in the minors. He only hit two home runs last year. He had he had seven stolen bases. And what we want more than ever this year are stolen bases. He's on a team that was top five in stolen bases in the league last year. They actually tied for fourth with 49 stolen bases with the Royals last year. So you know that opportunity is going to come. And with Nick Solak, I think offer, he offers that upside that you don't really get. I think there's, again, that 15-plus 15, 15 upside with a, with, a, with a good batting average. And you look at his uh, strikeout, actual strikeout rates throughout like his career. Another guy, when we talk about Dylan Moore, Solak's was only 18% last year. This is coming. This is lowering it from 21.5% in 2019. And other than in AAA with the Rays in 2019 as well, he never had an above 20% strikeout rate. So you know the hit tool is really good. And that goes to show he's also very patient at the plate with just with just above league average uh, in terms of O-swing. So he just better than league average O-swing, but almost half of what league average is in swing strike rate. And that goes back to his Z contact being 91.7%, his overall contact being 82.1%, both of these being well above league average, including the above league average O contact rate. So when you have somebody with this good of a hit tool, among other things, I think a lot of good can come from that. And even if the power doesn't show up, who cares? You have a guy who's probably hit between second and fifth in his lineup, assuming that the trends that he hit last year, uh, he hit he would hit like second against lefties and hit like fifth against righties on average. So I assume something similar happens to him this year. Maybe he earns his way up all the way. But regardless, you know, I think there's like a high floor here with with a little more ceiling like maybe not as maybe the floor isn't as high as Edmund but the ceiling is higher so maybe you can take a risk here going for a higher ceiling than the floor but I think there's a high floor here because of the contact skill so I'm really big on uh really big on Nick Solak yeah he was actually my number two guy and I'm all in <laughs> yes I'm all in on Nick Solak he, yes I mean he's, he's did I miss anything like, good then 
No, I mean, you kind of nailed everything, man. Like, I, every single, like, thing I was thinking, like, okay, like, yeah, he hit that, he hit that. Every, every note that I took, like, you already hit on it. So, yeah, I, I like I like it. I like it a lot. Um, the one thing I will add is, you know, he's always had very high ground ball rates. And we saw last year, he him we saw him raise that launch angle just a little bit, drop that ground ball rate under 50%. Uh, went from 52.9% to 48.8%. So if he can keep working on that and improving that launch angle, getting that ground ball rate down a bit, I think, yeah, there's still another level there for Nick Solak. And, you know, can he give us, you know, a 2015 season and a decent batting average? I I think so. So, yeah, I, I, I like Nick Solak a lot and someone I'm targeting heavily right now. Yeah, so I almost want to end it on that note. I really want to kind of do that. But... I will talk about one guy. I want to talk about Ty France. I'll say that for another podcast because the guy I like, I like a lot as well as going a little later, 343 overall. So 343rd overall, Luis Arias. He is boring. I get that. But Luis Arias, I'll keep it simple with him. He should be on your radar entering 2021. He hit top two in the final two games of the 2020 regular season and their two playoff games. So it shows they made that transition there. I would assume that sticks and leads to a cheap source of runs, and he should give you a 300 batting average over a lot of at bats. So when you get the added at bats with the, and again we're talking about really, really one of the better hit tools, if not like you know top five, top five hit tool in the league. I'd say it's close if you look at his contact rates and such. He's um one of the better hit, uh, one of the better contact. I shouldn't say hit tools, maybe contact. I don't know, kind of all plays. Or you get my point though. One of the better contact hitters in the game. And he's shown it over and over again. He's boring. He's not going to give you much for power, much for speed. But I think he, I think there's some chip-in steals there. I think there's 100 runs to be get got over there in Minnesota. And I do truly believe he's going to be leading off until he shows he can't. So uh, this is more of like a cheap, like, go out and get him. He's just somebody to fill in your middle and field place. If you, again, this is if you, he's a roster. He's like, he's the true definition of roster stabilizer. Because I feel like runs are overlooked. I think runs aren't that easy to fill, especially late. So if you're going to get me a guy that I think can get, at least push for 100 runs, assuming he leads off and hit 300, those are two stats that I think late actually have value. And not many guys, I mean, let's look at the guys around him. Michael Chavis, he's not going to give you that. Colton Wong, he's likely not going to give you that. It depends on where he signs and where he hits in that lineup. Um, Scott Kingery, we know he's not going to give you that. People need to stop trying this Kingery game. Cesar Hernandez, if, if he if he signs the right team and leads off, maybe. But he's not going to give you the batting average. He might give you the runs, though. But you get my point, though. It's it's not an easy skill set to come by this late, and I think he's worth taking a gamble on for sure. So, yeah, and there's, yeah, there's a few a more. Call. There's a few more names. I mean, a couple quick hitters. Um, with the, with the Cubs selling everybody, I think Nico Horner is going to get full time playing time, move up the lineup, solid prospect, a guy who's kind of underrated, overlooked, going outside the top four hundred. Love that guy. And why is your boy Donovan Solano going almost? To, he's going four eighty one. And this again, all this ADP since the, December first. Did he, people forget how good he was? He was like Luis Arias essentially for like a good portion of last year. Yeah, Donnie Barrels. I think he. <laughs> He uh he's projected right now to hit second and you play every day with mm-hmm. the Giants. So yeah, I mean four eighty one. Why? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, he's he's the forty sixth second baseman off the board. He's going behind Marvin Gonzalez. Does Marvin even have a job right now? I honestly don't know. And if he did, he's a backup. And I'm gonna say one thing. One guy do not draft. Don't know why he's going fourteenth overall. Jonathan VR. I don't get it. I don't get it. 
He's not even yeah. on the team right now. And if he's on a team, what teams yeah. is there? Like maybe the Pirates sign him and give him everyday playing time. Maybe like that's what I'm saying. Like you're hoping for one of the worst teams in the league to sign him for everyday playing time, where you're drafting him. No, thank you. He's barely gonna be. He's yeah. gonna be like a fringe top twenty-five guy for me. Yeah, one guy that I'm really interested in, and he's gonna just shoot up draft boards now is Hasyan Kim. Oh yeah, signing with the Padres. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I got a couple early shares, and the second base eligible he was going, or he, or he will be. He's shortstop eligible, but he will be second base. He'll he'll be playing second base every day for yeah. the Padres. Yeah. They they just signed him over from the KBO, and I mean last year he put up thirty home runs, twenty three stolen bases, and a three oh six average in the KBO. I mean the guy, and he's only twenty five years old. He's got a ton of potential. I, I really like him coming over from the KBO to the Padres. That landing spot is just amazing because you know the Padres are going to run and. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he slots in there, but very interesting power speed combo guy. It's, I mean, how he, how, you know, his hit tool translates, you know, how he adjusts to MLB pitching is going to be interesting to see that adjustment period, but very interested in Haseon Kim. He walked more than he struck out um, last year. So yeah, I think uh, he's going to be a fun one, but he's going to be someone that probably shoots up draft boards now. Something tells me he'll be a topic in next episode. Because it's shortstop. And <laughs> on that note, guys, we appreciate you all listening. Hit us up with a five-star rating review on your way out. It's greatly appreciated. Um, as always, follow the podcast on Twitter at Bases Loaded Pod. Myself at Mike underscore Curland and George at Roto underscore Nino. On your way out, George, do you have any work to plug? I know you're busy over at Fantrax right now. Yeah, no, we're just starting up the draft kit over there. So things are going to be picking up really busy. Um, started... You know, I started picking up my writing now last couple of weeks, so you can find my stuff over there. But, yeah, just keep a lookout for um, for our draft kit starting up soon. Yep, and, of course, the SP Streamer draft kit. I feel like we promote everything on this podcast. We're all over the place. Rotoballer, SP <laughs> Streamer. Yeah, um, that, obviously, Clegg and myself are contributing to that, so that's going to be on pre-order soon, and going to have to hustle to get that done. Um, Mike, I hope you're listening. I'm not even close, buddy. I just like to stress you out. All right. On that note, guys, we're going to head on out of here. And as always, be safe, and we will talk to you soon.